With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that we can have hope in Jesus Christ and what he does for us. Father, we are still longing for the second coming of Jesus Christ to this day. And this is the hope that burns within our hearts as it is written in Scripture. This morning as we study your word, we pray and ask that you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. This hymn was written in 1962 by a man by the name of Wayne Hooper. You've probably heard Wayne Hooper before. He was involved with the King's Herald Quartet. And it was written in 1962 because the General Conference was having a session that year. And they appointed Wayne Hooper on a committee to write a theme song for that General Conference in session. That year, 1962, Wayne Hooper prayed and asked the Lord to give him just the right song. And that, the theme for that year's session was, We Have This Hope. He was driving home, he was driving, not, not home, but driving to see his son at La Sierra College when the song came to him. As he was driving, he heard the words, he was studying this symphony, and he heard the words of that song, We Have This Hope, and he listened as the Holy Spirit impressed upon his mind that song, and it matched the symphony he was studying perfectly. And Wayne Hooper remarked that he was thankful that God had given him that song. And they sang it with gusto at that general conference session. And here, here we are in the year 2018, and we're still singing, we have this hope that burns within our hearts. It's true, isn't it? Hope in the coming of the Lord. Hope in the coming of the Lord. A man by the name of Stephen Smith in the year 1850 received the letter one day. He received the letter... Stephen Smith, by the way, so you know, was an eloquent speaker of the Seventh-day Adventist message. He had believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ, but in the year 1844, he was disappointed when Jesus didn't arrive. Stephen Smith was burdened. The church was going through a difficult time, and Stephen Smith received the letter. And the return address, the person who wrote the letter was no other than Ellen G. White. When he saw the letter, Stephen Smith said, I will have nothing to do with this woman. Here she is giving me one of her testimonies. I shall take this letter and hide it somewhere. And so Stephen Smith took the letter home and thought to himself, where can I put this letter? Went into his room, found an old trunk, and opened it up, took the letter, and placed it at the bottom of that trunk. Stephen Smith would not have, did not visit that letter until 28 years later. He decided that he would never read it. He didn't want the counsels that Ellen White was sending to him or sending his way. Stephen Smith was a gifted man, an eloquent speaker. He was said to have had many talents, and he was a promising man in the Advent message. After this disappointment, he had struggled to keep things together, and that letter was just adding to, already, to what was happening already in his heart. There it is, he said. She thinks she is going to give me one of her testimonies. I will have nothing to do with it. And so he put it in the trunk. Years later, in 1885, a preacher by the name of Eugene Farnsworth came to town. 
he was preaching about the same message. Jesus is coming soon. And Stephen Smith heard that Eugene Smith, Eugene Farnsworth was coming to town, and so he went to the meeting. He thought, I want to hear what this speaker was going to say. Stephen Smith had known Eugene Farnsworth years prior. They had grown up together. Stephen Smith had started on a journey, a path that he did not want to go on. He had been involved in fanatical groups. Every single time a fanatical group rose up. He was carried by this, carried by that, involved in this movement, that movement he had no stability. He had given up hope in Jesus Christ. And so Eugene Farnsworth was coming to town and he was preaching the message, the Advent message. And Stephen Smith went to visit the meeting house. And as he was there listening intently, the congregation had already knew, known Stephen Smith and who he was. And so they thought, here he is, the most prominent critic of the Advent message in the congregation. As he heard the words preached, Stephen Smith stood up and everyone gasped. Here he is about to talk down this man. Why is Stephen Smith here? Stephen Smith stood up and spoke, I am convicted to give my life to the Lord. Stephen Smith on his way home under this conviction thought about the letter he had received 28 years earlier and decided, you know what? I want to read that letter. And so he goes home, opens up his door, goes into that same room, found that same old trunk, opened it up, and pulled the letter out. By this time, on the edges, the, the, the pages were yellow. The years had passed, 28 years. And he opened up the letter, and as he read, he realized that Ellen White was describing the exact course he would take if he ignored the letter. <laughs> Stephen Smith read the letter, and he had this to say. This is a picture of my life, just exactly as I have lived it for these 28 years. And here it is, what I would have been if I had followed it. He goes on, went back to the meeting house that day and heard another message preached by Eugene Farnsworth. And in that congregation, he stood up and said, Brethren, I received a testimony myself 28 years ago. And I took it home and locked it in my trunk, and I never read it until last Thursday. Brethren, every word of the testimony for me is true. And I accept it. And I've come to that place where I finally believe that they are all from God. Unopened letters are not useful. Unopened letters are not useful. They have no benefit to those who do not read them. And there are thousands upon thousands like Stephen Smith who have letters not hidden in a trunk somewhere, but yet on their shelves, not hidden from view, but in plain sight, but yet not read. But this is the source of our hope and will always be, but if we open its pages. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Disappointment. The disciples had experienced the miracles of Jesus. They saw the power of God working in his life from day to day. They had traveled the dusty roads of, of Galilee with the, with the Lord. 
and had learned every single thing he had to teach. They listened intently to the truth as Jesus spoke the words of life to those who would listen. They saw him restore the sight of the blind. They saw him give the lame the ability to walk. They saw the dead brought back to life in the person of Lazarus, and there were a few others. The disciples had seen the power of God, but today was Sunday. Friday had passed. Today was the day that disappointment was felt even deeper than it was prior to. Things happened quickly. Friday, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin. He was tried. And there he was, crucified on a Roman cross, and everything was hopeless for them. They were disappointed. Luke 24, verse 1, the Bible says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Things happened so quickly, they couldn't even fulfill the rites, the traditions that they would use to bury someone. And so they came on Sunday to finish the job. And so the women came to the tomb. I imagine them running, Mary, mother of James, and, and Mary Magdalene. As they're running to the tomb, I imagine them bursting the corner and, and coming around and seeing the tomb. They're almost there. They have their vessels in hand, ready to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they walk up to the tomb, they see the stone rolled away. And they're thinking, Lord, Please, no more surprises. We cannot take any more. Why is the stone rolled away now? And as they ran into the tomb, they realized to add insult to injury, the body of Jesus was gone. Did they steal the body? What happened to Jesus? They might have asked themselves. And here they were. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. I imagine their eyes began to water as they thought about the possibilities. But in, there in that discouragement, an angel, two angels spoke to them. The Bible says in verse 4, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the, to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. In verse 8, the Bible says, and they remembered his words. It's hard to remember counsel when you're going through trial, isn't it? They always tell you, here are the five steps if you ever find yourself driving in winter and your car is slipping. Here are the five steps. First step, make sure you don't panic. How many of you keep that rule? As you're driving and the car begins to lose control, you begin to think the first thing I'm going to do is panic and then figure out the rest later. The moment you panic, you, you forget the other steps. The next step, do not hit the brakes. At least, do not push it hard. And the moment you panic, the first thing you do Hit the brakes. It's hard to remember counsel when you're going through trials. And here it is. The women remembered what Jesus had said to them prior to. They remembered his words. Now, 
I've been, my first accident in Michigan happened in the Upper Peninsula. It was on my birthday, January 8th. I was driving there, and I had my, my good friend with me, Jorge, and we're driving um, almost, we were five minutes from our house. We are coming around this curve, and the roads were icy. It was really bad. It was a bad winter that year, 2015, I think. And there we were, going down the slope. There was a stop sign there. I saw the stop sign late. The stop sign was, 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 was right by an intersection going the opposite direction. And so I thought, here are the five steps that I've learned. Do not hit the brakes. At least not hard. First step, do not panic. So I panicked. <laughs> and then hit the brakes. And nothing happened. This car just slid right across the intersection and right into a ravine. Jorge and I were sitting in the car, and, and funny enough, we were looking at each other. There was a moment of silence, and then just huge, we just burst out into laughter. I'm thinking, here's my first car, my 1999 Chevy Malibu. I did not listen to the council. It was my birthday, and here we were in the woods, blistering cold. The car wasn't running by this point, and we're sitting there. The temperature had gone down below zero, and we were freezing until a, a lone, wonderful stranger came by and took us into his car and put his heat on blast, and then we got to call AAA and got our car out. I was happy for that little car, because when it got pulled out, it was still running, and so we just drove to our house that night. It's hard to remember counsel when you're experiencing trials. And so the women went back to the disciples, the Bible says here in verse 11. And they told what they had experienced, what they had seen. They were coming back with the report that Jesus was alive. But their heart was hurting. The pain was too real. The reality was that Jesus, the one whom they had believed in, was now dead. And all their hopes were buried with Jesus in the tomb. And so the woman came back. We have seen angels. They told us that Jesus is alive. They mentioned to us, why seek the living among the dead? And so they mentioned all of this to the apostles. Verse 11, what does the Bible say there? And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Idle tales simply means it didn't make sense. It did not make any sense at all to those disciples. They're thinking, how is it even possible? Listen, it's okay. Mary, I understand. You've seen something, but that's nonsense. How could that even be possible? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus tell them that he would rise again the third day, yes or no? Yes. Did they remember those words? No. no, it's hard to remember counsel in the middle of trials. And so their words seemed to them as idle tales. Later that evening, the day was far spent, of course. All attempts to try to rectify the situation, at least to have, had, at least to get some sense out of what was happening, all of this failed. Jerusalem was a quiet place, no shouts. There were no hosannas ringing in the streets. The day of triumph had given way to the day of defeat, and the grim reality of the crucifixion rested upon the disciples' hearts as if it were happening all over again. The pain 
was real. Nothing, no one could console their grief. They wept, they spoke, wept again, their hearts were burdened. All hope had been lost. The fire had burnt out, and it was all a lost. So Cleopas said to the other, let's go home. And so they began to walk to Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles, seven and a half miles, according to some scholars from Jerusalem. And if you're on your way to Emmaus, it will probably take you about an hour and a half to walk. And as you leave the city of Jerusalem, you would have had to walk through the western gate. See, Emmaus was northwest of Jerusalem, as some say. And so Cleopas and the other, they were walking and they went through this gate, the, 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 the western gate, and they're going on their way now to Emmaus. And as they're walking, they say about 15 minutes into the journey, you would find another path that would intersect the path you're walking on. And so some say that this path may have been the place where Jesus met the two sorrowful disciples. About 25 minutes into the journey, you would have already walked beyond the paved pathway that the Romans had built, and you're now on the rocky, rocky grounds, the, the, the valley that would take you down and then up back to Emmaus as you see the beautiful city in the distance. It was their home. Let us close shop and go home. All hope had been lost. And so they're on their way now to Emmaus, walking the seven-and-a-half-mile trip, and Jesus pulls up close to them. You know what I love about the heart of God? Is that the moment trials come, Jesus shows up too. And as we're walking on that journey on Emmaus, that's our path, that's our road, that's our journey. And every single person in this room has an Emmaus to travel on. Has an Emmaus, the, the, the path to Emmaus to travel on. And so as they're walking, Jesus pulls up close to them and Jesus begins to ask the question, why are you walking and are so sad? You know, sometimes God comes to us and asks us that very same question. Why are you so discouraged? What is happening in your heart that causes you to have this kind of conversation together? What is happening? And so they began to teach Jesus about what had taken place. The Bible says here in verse 18 of Luke 24, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus simply said, What things? Don't you just love God? I mean, he could have just immediately showed them himself. It is I. But Jesus, what things are you talking about? And so they began to respond to Jesus. He said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And here they are talking to Jesus of Nazareth. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But every road to Emmaus has a but. They all have buts. Here we were at the high point in our experience in our lives, but somehow we got down to here, this belief. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, 
Today is the third day since these things happened. Did they remember his words? No. It's hard to remember the word of God in the midst of trials. And so they had forgotten it all. Yes, they went on. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished, they, they, they astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. In other words, here is proof that Jesus is not alive. They didn't see him. Here it is, Jesus is talking to them. What things? Then Jesus said to them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I wish I would have been there to hear that Bible study that Jesus had with those disciples. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Question mark. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is a genius. Jesus could have revealed himself in a moment. And they would have believed. Here it is, my Lord. Now I see you clearly. You are risen. But Jesus took them through the word of God. Why? One may ask. It's because Jesus wanted them to understand that what gives hope and confidence in him was his word. And even if Jesus were to be alive for several days and then go back to heaven, Jesus was pointing the finger on what would guide them for the rest of their lives. The word of God. What is the source of our hope? The word of God. There is the letter. I pray that we do not leave it on our shelves for 28 years. I pray that we read it often. And so Jesus began to speak to them off the word of God, breaking down from the prophet Moses, going all the way through the other prophets and expounded unto them all the scriptures. And at the end of that Bible study, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. Bible says in verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. Literal translation means our hearts were on fire. Are you on fire for Jesus? Are you on fire for Jesus? Do you know the source of that fire, what it is? It's the word of God. And I often hear Christians say, you know, man, I want to, I used to be on fire for Jesus. I was always on fire for Jesus. So why are you not on fire for Jesus now? And I can tell you the reason why. It is because the word of God is not burning within your heart. Because it's left on your shelves, unread. And so, we give way. Hope gives way to disappointment. And we're discouraged because the word of God is not remembered. It's not kept in the heart. David says in Psalms 56 verses 8, 10, and 11, You number my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In God 
I will praise his word, he says, in the Lord. I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. God says in your moment of discouragement, your tears are in a bottle. In other words, he knows exactly what's happening to you. And David says, I will praise his word. In other words, if you want to know what God thinks, go to his word. Go to his word. And it will be very odd if in the moment you are slipping on the road as you're driving your car to pull out a manual and say, what was step number one? But if you have kept the word in your heart, it is easy to claim the promises. Amen? Amen. Oh, I wish you could get excited with me. I am excited. Their hearts were on fire. I remember one time I was there again in the UP and I, my friend and I, we went out to do outreach. Weather, minus 20 degrees. I am a Jamaican. <laughs> minus 20 degrees in Jamaican doesn't go together. It's like oil and water. But nonetheless, we decided that we wanted to reach someone today. And so we went out, we were knocking on doors. And I remember how my hands, I had gloves on. I had two gloves on, but they didn't work. I was dressed warm. I was in a snow pants. I was, I was in my really warm jacket. I thought it was warm. And I had hand warmers in my gloves, and they weren't working either. But I remember in the blistering cold, we were knocking on doors. And I remember this one guy, we... I knocked on his door, he came out, and he came out crying. And I remember looking at him, and I told him why I was there. I said, you know, sir, my name is Jermaine. I, I, we're just in the community. We're trying to share the word of God with, with people that we come in contact with. Would you be interested if I were to pray with you or to share the word of God with you? And he said, no. He said, my grandmother just died. And I said, sir, there's a promise in the word of God that I would love to share with you. And I really would like to pray with you about what you're feeling and what you're going through. I sympathize. In fact, I started crying. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm an atheist. That is useless. And closed his door. I, remembered how, I remember how I felt when he did that. I remember what was happening inside my heart as I felt like, the, the word of God could have helped him to see things from a different perspective. For the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There is hope beyond the grave. And I wish that I could have shared it with him. But he closed his door. He closed his door. You know, Closed doors are not a good thing. Neither are closed hearts to the word of God. You see, the word of God is the source of hope for the Christian. For in it, God speaks. In it, we hear his voice comforting us in the midst of our disappointment. And hope, hope is brought to life as our hearts burn when we hear the word of God. Jesus opened the word of God to the disciples 
and their eyes were opened, previously moist with tears. Inspiration tells us that they were walking on this path from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus, and every, there were set moments in their journey where they would stop and just weep. That's all they would do. Just, that no words could comfort them. They would pause and weep together as friends. All hope was lost. And Jesus interrupted the mournful session. The result of this interaction, they had no clue, of course, who it was that was breaking the word of God with them. They were convinced from the word of God of the things that Jesus himself had talked about. They were reminded of the truth in Jesus. Their eyes were holding that they could not see Jesus. And so what was most important to them at this point in their experience was for them to look to the word of God. And they responded, did not our hearts burn within us? Again, the proper meaning of the text communicates to us that their hearts were literally set on fire. Did we not experience fire in our hearts while he talked to us by the way and opened to us the scriptures? What, is, what was it that caused that fire? Was the word of God. When was the last time you were on fire for Jesus? Is your heart on fire? Filled with hope of forgiveness? Filled with the joy of knowing the Lord? On fire because you know like Job who says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand upon the earth, and though after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Is your heart on fire for God, saying like Paul, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. Is your heart on fire like David who says, Thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Is your heart on fire for God? Like Jeremiah who said, Then said I, I will not make mention of him. Even if I refuse, Jeremiah is saying, to speak on the Lord's behalf, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was wherewith forbearing, I could not stay. Jeremiah is saying, even if I refuse to speak on God's behalf, I am literally set on fire, and the more I try to resist speaking on God's behalf, the more I get tired. But we get tired of reading the Bible. In the mornings we wake up, and it's a busy day. You know the drill. Work is just about 30 minutes from now. It's going to take me 15 minutes to get there. I need to take a shower. I need to get ready. And so by the time you are ready, you only have 15 minutes left for the drive. You may slip a CD in and listen to a sermon, but yet you haven't read the Bible, nor have you prayed and spent time with the Lord. That's why you're not on fire. Because the word of God is not burning in your hearts. And I'm speaking to me today. I want to tell you that last night before going to bed, I pressed the Lord. I said, Lord, please wake me up in the morning at 4.30 because I want to spend some time in prayer. I want to speak to you. And I was asleep. And at 2 a.m., I woke up. And it's very funny. I, I confess to you that I did not feel like getting up. It was 2. And so I began to have a conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, 
I ask you to wake me up at 4.30. <laughs> now, 2 o'clock and 4.30 are two different things. And I heard the words, come. Come. I lingered. I said, Lord, 4.30. I want to get some rest. And I just heard the words, come. And I remember going into my closet. I often go in there. Opening up my Bible, reading pages of the Spirit of Prophecy, and it was exactly what I was supposed to hear. God wanted to speak to me. He had a message for me. I spent the time in prayer and thanked the Lord for waking me up at 2 a.m. I would encourage you to try that. Lord, wake me up at 4.30. He will wake you up at 2 a.m. if he sees fit. But I want to tell you that I would be happy with a 2 a.m. wake-up call from God than an 8 a.m. wake-up call from my work. Our hearts need to burn within us. We need to be on fire for Jesus. I'm longing for us Christians to get it right, for us to get back to the word sola scriptura, the Bible and the Bible only. In closing, there was a man who was engaged in a sacrilegious play. This play was literally a mockery of Christianity and a mockery of Jesus, and they gave him an assignment. He was to play the part of Jesus, and the title of the play was, uh, getting the title here, Give Me My Tuxedo and Top Hat. And so this man was to say his part. He was to read a couple phrases from the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus and simply shout out, give me my tuxedo and top hat. The title was Jesus and a Tuxedo. So he opened up his Bible, was doing his part, was reading the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He began to tremble. As he read those words, instead of following the script, the man kept reading, reading from Matthew chapter 5 in the audience, ignoring the coughs and the, the calls and the foot stomping from his fellow actors, stay on the part. He kept reading the word. Finally, recalling a verse he had learned in his childhood in a Russian Orthodox church, he cried out, Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom, he was converted that day. Amen. That's the power of the Bible. Before the curtain could be lowered, this man had trusted Jesus as his personal savior. Like the disciples, he had experienced what it means to have a heart on fire. He could not resist the power of the word, beloved. It's time for us to stop reading the word of God casually. We need to dig deeper. Much deeper than we've ever done before. Our hearts should be on fire. Kindled with the hope that only Christ can give. And hope is strengthened when it is exercised on the treadmill of the word of God. Hope dies when it has no sunshine. And the word of God is that which brings light. We need more fire in our religion. We need more fire in our hearts. 
We need to get to the point where we can say, like the disciples as Jesus drew near, did not our hearts burn within us? God is not looking for a Bible-believing church only. The devil also believes. God is looking for a church that is so close to him, so familiar with his words that they have something to say when a tempter comes their way. Our hearts need to burn. Today I want to make a simple appeal. You, it's true. You have a letter. Written 1,600 years ago. Its pages are still useful. Its words are still powerful and true. The word of God still has the power to change the heart. It still has the power to convert the soul. It is still quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Will you read this letter? Will you read this letter? Today, again, I want to make a very simple appeal. Do you want to dig deeper? Do you want your hearts to be on fire? If you're aware that your schedule that has been taking you day by day has been taking you away from the word of God and from prayer, I'm going to make an appeal to you this morning, this afternoon, rather. Make a, make a commitment to get back to the basics. Someone once said that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. And it's true. To you, if it is your desire to say, Lord, I will not wait 28 years before reading this letter. I'm going to ask you to stand. Saying, Lord, this letter, I want it to be the most important thing in my life. The Word of God, I want to make it a priority. And like the Protestants of old, Lord, I want to say the Bible and the Bible only. That I may read it. And there are other wonderful tools and resources that you could use. For example, the Spirit of Prophecy. God has given those tools to us for us to use to bring us ever closer to his side. And I am rejoicing, saying amen. Knowing that God has been missing some of you this week. In fact, he might have been missing some of you this past month. You've seldom prayed, you've seldom read the Bible. And business has been replacing your time with him. God like the songwriter once said, I, missed, I miss my time with you. And I'm pleading with you this morning to make a commitment to go home, study the word of God. If there's something you don't understand, pray and press the throne room of God asking him, please reveal to me more truth. If that's your desire, as you are standing, raise your hand. This is what I'm going to do. I want to go home and I want to press the Lord to reveal to me more of his word. With that, let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the word. Like the disciples this morning, we are saying, did not our hearts burn within us as you spoke to us? Father, we really ask you for a deeper conversion.
We ask that your Holy Spirit may impress upon our hearts and upon our lives and upon our minds the truth of your word. Please, Lord, I'm begging you, do not cast us away for our, because of our neglect of your word, but please help us to see the value in studying scripture. We were known as the people of the book, and somehow today we're just known as people. Lord, today we want to return want to go back to the basics. We want to spend time in your word. We pray that this may be the priority in our lives. We pray that before we receive any phone call or browse Facebook or any other thing, that the first thing we do is fall on our knees and pray and study your word. And that as the songwriter says, we may plead nearer my God to thee. Nearer to thee. That's our prayer. And we're thankful that you've heard us. We're very thankful that you've spoken to us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.